welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. This is where we pick the best brains in the business world and you, the listener, feel like you are eavesdropping on a really interesting coffee conversation to give you and your business the inside edge. We take a look into the minds and brands of successful leaders and probe into how they think, feel, learn, manage teams and themselves. This show is about connecting and creating conversations that matter building your powers of influence, persuasion, and ultimately communication. We explore the latest evidence-based findings in neuromarketing, consumer behavior, business techniques, tips, trends, and tricks. We love sharing the knowledge and serve brain food to keep your business healthy. To continue eavesdropping and to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and my website, Brandstorm. So while our first guest settles in, orders their coffee, grab yourself one and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a great friend of the program. I always like to check in with him every now and then to keep on top of all these trends and the fast-paced change in the business world. He's a social researcher and demographer and, as I said, great friend of the program. Hello, Mark McCrindle. Hello, Jackie. Good to be with you. Always good chatting with you, Mark. Now, what's some of the biggest trends in business at the moment? With, with, uh, I suppose there's four generations now. I was reading mm. some research saying that are entering the marketplace. So certainly, uh, diversity in age would be one of them. What else is there? Well, exactly right. You know, more of those age groups and more generations than ever in the workforce and in our consumer or client base as well. So really understanding the, the difference that exists there and the increasing age difference. The fact is people are working later in life, people are living longer, people are remaining active as consumers or in running their businesses. So we will continue to see in this period of a longevity boom uh, a wider age range of customers. And what it means for us is that the lifetime value of a customer or a client has never been greater. You know, if we can continue to meet their needs as they move through those different life stages, uh, we really can engage people for the long term, which is, uh, you know, a very pleasing thing to be able to do. It's a, it's a wonderful time for you and your career to see all these changes because there's been some seismic shifts in Australia's demographics, particularly uh, this year as Gen Y and beyond, so that's Australians born since 1980, will become the largest population of the population. I couldn't believe that. It's amazing, and it was, uh, I can remember in the early 2000s when this term Generation Y was first being coined and used, and people were saying, well, we've heard of baby boomers and Generation X, but who's Generation Y? And now they, along with the generation that comes afterwards, obviously Generation Z, uh, now comprise the majority of the Australian population. That is that the generation born since 1980, or Australians born since 1980, uh, now are more than half of our national population. And those two generations I've mentioned, the Ys and the Zs, who are the oldest edge are in their 30s, but the youngest edge, you know, just he- heading into their 20s, they now comprise half of the workforce as well, more than half this year. So, so the majority of the population, of the workers, of the wealth accumulators, and therefore of the, of the new purchasers are these uh, so-called millennial or, or, or new generations, and all the more reason to understand them because they're big in number and they're big in economic power as well. 
So what's the key to success in understanding these? Um, they're called millennials, aren't they, Mark? Are they grouped all together, the Ys and the Zs? Is that yeah, right? that's, the, that's the way it generally works. If people are talking millennial, they're talking about uh, what we would describe sociologically as the Gen Ys and the Gen Zs, but essentially those in their 20s or 30s. And, and I guess what it does mean is that uh, we've got these generations that have been shaped in this digital era with technology, global in outlook, influenced through the social connection, not just what the experts tell them, visual in terms of how they consume content and make decisions. They're, they're uh, also um, you know, digital in terms of those tools, and so they've got access to more information. They're a few clicks away from any product or offering out there, and all of that has transformed what they look for in a service provider in a business, um, and, and their time frames are a lot shorter as well. So we do have to be more customer-centric and more adaptive to these trends if we're to really meet and, and maintain their needs into the future. You know, your business, McCrindle Research, is uh, very well known for its visual and its data storytelling, and that's the bit I've always loved about the work you do, Mark. It's not just presenting numbers, yawn, don't understand it, but you're actually creating a story. So you're, you're working with the brain because our brain loves a story. We like storytelling. It makes us understand things, and you use that a lot. So with this big data, I think you did a TEDx talk not long ago. You talked about more the number. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, we all have recognised in the last few years we've entered a world of big data and and that's powerful. You know, the business insights that come from data is incredible if we can understand it, interpret it and apply it. And that's where the visuals come in. We say that big data needs to be visual data if we're to really put it into practice. It was uh, 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 Tom Peters, the management expert, he used to say, what gets measured gets done. And so in business, we've got our KPIs, no doubt. We've got the data that we track, sales, whatever it might be. But I would, I would add to the Peters saying there, and I'd, I'd add extra phrase in the middle, I'd say what gets measured and effectively communicated gets done. And so the effective communication part is trying to help our team members or indeed the customers see the data by making it visual. You know, in the last few years, we've seen this, this term infographic where data is presented in visual charts, where reports uh, have a lot more visual elements to them because we are time poor. We're not going to read through the big report, but if we can see it in the symbols or the pictures and clearly understand the message through that, it's going to stick in our brain better. It's going to be quicker to consume. It's going to be easier to share, particularly on a digital platform. And, and the more we share it, the more we understand it and we'll apply it. And so that is the power and the importance of visual, not just to make it look pretty, but strategically to make sure those communications are effective. Hence the rise of the emoji. <laughs> exactly right. That's yeah, well, right. Because yeah. we, we communicate, you know, uh, emotionally, not just rationally. And, and the pictures and the emojis, are the, the way we communicate in text language, it brings the heart and not just the head. And that's, that's true in any communication. Yes, well, uh, the visual side of our brain is uh, superiorly dominant, so it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's good to tap into that. Now, the other thing I noticed, uh, Mark, recently you are in China talking about trends in the Australian market. What were you chatting about? Yeah, well, just uh, how you know, really Australia is is part of of, of our region. You know, we look to the north now, not just to Europe in terms of where our connections comes from. Our census data, the, the latest Australian census showed us that now of Australians born overseas, and that's more than a quarter of us, 
more were born in Asia than in Europe. So we have shifted even our our, our migration patterns to, to take into account our part of the world. And uh, and so the, the, the demographic epicentre of our globe is just to our north in Asia. It's the emerging economic epicentre as well. And so we do a lot of analysis of Asia and get over there a fair bit uh, to communicate some of the insights and trends and really help them understand the Australian marketplace as well. And and what I find over there and what we found in this, this recent tour is uh, very sophisticated and engaged business community in China and emerging small business marketplace as well, um, global in outlook and really looking to Australia uh, as a place of of investment and benefit. We are on their radar from an education perspective, uh, from a, a an export you know country perspective, and, and obviously our, our property and our um, cities are, and infrastructure are key areas that China looks at and can can assist Australia with. So and right across Southeast Asia as well. So that was part of the, the tour there and just sharing some of our analysis. Well, talking about global education, I also noticed that you're uh, just starting your PhD at Harvard Business School, of all schools. Uh, how come you chose Harvard and what are you doing your PhD in? Well, it's, it's a, a, a doctorate in international leadership. And, and, you know, as I was just communicating with, uh, with those broader trends, you know, it has to be global leadership we bring to the fore now, not just a, a traditional perspective. We have to be able to have not just that IQ and not even just the EQ or the social intelligence, but the, the CQ, the cultural intelligence, you know, manage different generations of different cultures and backgrounds and be adept as to uh, whether we're, you know, in a local Business environment, or an international meeting, or, or managing you know, some offshore staff. So, so that's all, all part of what's required these days, and uh, and that's what the uh, the doctorate involves. It's an international cohort of of students from Australia, from the US, some from Canada, and uh, uh, it's it's a three-year program where, well, four years in the end by the time you, you write up the thesis. So we'll, um, we'll spend some time this year in the UK as well at, at Oxford. And uh, and so it just gives us this, this global perspective on, on what's happening in business, in leadership, and in uh, in this fast-changing, uh, megatrends-driven uh, business environment. Yeah, well, that's really exciting, Mark, and uh, c- okay. congratulations. I think it'll be great. And, and it'd be great to actually get that insight globally into these megatrends Megatrends. So let's talk a little bit about some global megatrends that we know now. What are some of the uh, insights you've got at the current time? Well, a big one this year would have to be trust. And it's not just true in Australia where we've had you know, a couple of royal commissions that have really focused in on trust and, and how well uh, some big players in various sectors are delivering. But it's, it's, we see it internationally with, with brands, uh, with whether it be you know foods brands that we consume and can we trust the safety of them to cars we drive and can we trust the reports written about the the, the standards of these vehicles wherever we look to whatever the sector here in Australia you know, banking and finance um, aged care and uh, and religious institutions whatever it may be uh, Australians uh, and and I think right around the world people are looking to make decisions on trust and it's always been important for a business to have that trust reputation, but I think these days even more than ever because, as I said earlier, what influences us is what others are saying, not just what the brand says about itself and what we find and what what our experience has been and the experience of others. And those organisations that can not only 
have trust and, and have a legacy of it, but can maintain that trust in terms of delivering, delivering to customers what they say they will, in terms of living by the values that they espouse, and in terms of being those global citizens, uh, that's what really does uh, create a, a premium of consumer engagement these days. And, um, and so trust would have to be one of those key themes for the, the year ahead. And the other one that we um, haven't touched on that we've been looking at is is this this year of what we're calling a recessionette. Now, I don't think we're we're quite heading towards a recession, and certainly technically speaking, you know, we've, we've had a dream run for a couple of decades without one. But as the property prices have dropped, Australians are getting a sense of feeling less wealthy, a sense that their house is not worth what it once was, a sense that uh, those mortgage repayments might tighten up. Certainly, living costs have been going up and wages growth has been flat. And that is coming to a point this year where Australians are cutting back a little bit here and there on their spend, and that does have some flow-on impact. So not quite mini-recession, but certainly that feeling of a slow-growth environment and, uh, and, and a few further tightenings to come across the Australian consumer landscape. Mark McCrindle, it's always stimulating and very reflective uh, a conversation with you, but I liked your point about in uh, the uh, addendum to uh, Tom Peters about things being effectively communicated. That's always the key, and I think that's uh, part of this discussion today. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Oh, I have too. Thanks so much, Tacky. Thank you. We hope you're enjoying eavesdropping on our interesting conversation. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a transformational coach, leadership development for organisational culture, an executive change manager and author. He is director of Corporate Alchemy. Welcome, Peter Shields. Hello, welcome. Oh, thank you, Jackie. Thank you. Welcome to me too. That's very yeah. nice of you. Thank you. Now, <laughs> I have been reading your book, and I'm going to start straight off the bat. It's called Leadership Alchemy, and I like the fact that it's a, like the brand connection with your business, Corporate Alchemy. So tell us a little bit about Corporate Alchemy before we start talking about your book. So yeah, I work as a, as your intro suggested, uh, helping leaders understand their own beliefs and assumptions and transforming them to something more effective for individual and then extended to the collective leadership so businesses can nail their purpose and vision. So how do you define transformational leadership? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. There's Most of us are set up... Um, to be good at leadership or good at management. And I, I do love that old leadership uh, book, Good to Great, and the author there, Jim Collins, identified the difference. Um, so I sort of help leaders identify what do they see as great leadership and allow them to set the transformational agenda based on their perspective. I've, I've learned over the years that the ego is a really resistant and powerfully resourced defence mechanism. So now I... I help them and their team identify what is great leadership and then assist them to transform from where they are to where they say they want to be. Yes, I noticed uh, in reading your book and I'm halfway through and I'm absolutely hooked and I read a lot of business books. Uh, I try to also read some fiction to balance out my creative and my brain just to give it a right. bit of a rest. But I do get sent a lot of business books uh, and, and sadly... I get a 
bit upset when it's sort of the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, and so I'm always looking for that little bit different, some different thinking, some real thought leadership. And then I came across your book, and I must admit it sat there on the shelf for a while because it's quite thick. It's got um, 400 pages, and most sort of business books are about, you know, 100, 200 or something like that or less with, with lots of pictures. And I've gone... I've had a quick flick through your book and there's no pictures in there. There's no flow charts. There's no matrix. matrix. And then I'm thinking, what's going on here? And then I realised it's a novel. And you've actually, and it, it's incredible, Peter, I, I'm really impressed. You've actually made a business book into a novel, much like historical fiction does. So I love historical uh, fiction whereby it's based on the reality of Henry VIII or something and then someone like a Philippa Gregory will write it in the first person from one of his wives and then fills in the gaps of what life might have been like and so you're learning history but you're but you're learning it in the you know um, tried and true way of storytelling so you've used the power of storytelling to teach to teach about leadership and to teach about business and uh, I just think it's it's wonderful congratulations and what what how did you come up with that idea to actually make it into a story? I, I like you, am a little tired of case study-driven academic or um, sort of dogmatic-style leadership books. Uh, I read them. I get across them. I um, and, and I wanted to bring adult development theory to life. I'm a big fan of Keegan O'Leary's research and um, how that relates to leadership. So I wanted to bring it to life with story and and I see myself as a bit of a translator. I'm, a, I'm across the academic. I'm not an academic, but I do uh, you know, leverage their perspective to, to reference my own thoughts. So, yeah, I just wanted to bring it to life, especially for men um, who might be in their mid-40s, might be coming into the prime of their leadership career, that, that have an absence of role models to remember from the 80s and 90s that, that would be relevant for modern leadership. So much has changed. And, yeah, I really wanted men to understand that. And I, I also wanted younger, diverse perspectives on leadership, um, the obvious one being from females. I wanted them also to have a bit of a role model for how to navigate the old bureaucratic and the old um, hierarchical systems that arguably are set up to help them fail. Uh, so I wanted to help men and I wanted to help younger leaders who are thinking differently, especially if they're young women. Yeah, well, I think you've you've done that balanced. You've really balanced that perfectly. I, I've, I read that and I quite often it's very sort of male-dominated, but the reality is a lot of business is male-dominated. So there's that balance of we need to introduce more female role models for more female leaders, but we also need to keep it real. Uh, so there's that reality versus aspiration. And then you also want to bring the young people up, uh, that then people that are older, so they've still got value. Just because you turn 65 or 70, you then go, right, we'll throw you on the scrap heap. Right. That's such a waste as well, and uh, and I think you've balanced that really well. And your first, uh, the first line or the first paragraph of the book, I'm going to read this out just to just right. to tease everyone because <laughs> this first paragraph, I thought you and you're a natural, obviously a natural storyteller. It says here, this is the first bit. I've always been in control. This is from uh, your character, Ben, who's 82. Uh, he was the uh, CEO and founder of a big company. He says, I've always been in control. I've always found a solution to every problem. 
But now I feel like an uprooted weed, torn from the garden of life, abandoned on the lawn, awaiting death by mower. <laughs> I thought that was a, a lovely way to start, and that's a, re- a real issue. Um, did, did you have you always liked writing stories? It's from school. Did you like reading and writing? I, I love historical fictions as well, and um, especially if they have a frivolous side and a bit of. Um, I, I love the license of being able to write fiction. Um, I've written three books before. This is the first I've published, and. Um, Yes, yeah, so I've, I've always loved storytelling. I, I sadly flunked English and went down to what we used to call in the old days, veggie English, just to hang out with my cousin. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I sort of wish I went on and um, studied three-unit English and actually understood more about, more about it, but uh, maybe it's time to learn that now. Well, look, I, I certainly will encourage, encourage you to do that, Peter. I think uh, this has absolutely filled a gap, and that's the marketer in me. I got very excited about the concept, but then I started really enjoying the, the story. As I said, I'm halfway through, so I'm looking forward to see what happens. But I have to ask you about the characters, and I'm speaking to a lot of authors. So did you model these characters on anything about yourself or people that you know? Uh, yeah. Yes, I'm trained in creativity psychotherapy, which is a Jungian approach to psychology and um, all about drama and theatre. And I learned there about the idea that we all have 16 archetypes and um, each of these characters is an archetype representative of my inner uh, fears and angst and issues and also my my idealised, you know, um, objective and... They're integrated characters and feminine sides. So yeah, they're all they're all a part of me, terrifyingly enough. Well, I noticed that uh, you've got a, uh, a background in the psycho- in psychology, but also that you refer to neuroscience. And neuroscience is one of my keen areas, particularly neuromarketing. And mm-hmm. one of the um, I suppose foundations of uh, neuromarketing is the concept of similarity. That if people can see something similar in another person, it helps them improve communication and likability and things like that. And as I was reading this, some of these things have happened to me. I'm reading them going, when Angela was in the boardroom and she's having that boardroom conversation, I've had that conversation. That's happened. I didn't quite, I didn't perform as well as she did in the book, but but I could relate to that. And there was so much in there, all the issues, because she's the coach, Ben's the the business owner, Angela's the the business coach and his advisor and and confidant. Uh, But, you know, even to have someone like that around and and I just, I just love like the way that you've actually built that uh, that story around, but, but the bit that I was most interested in was about this shadow aspects, which you just touched on. Then, this shadow aspects of leadership psychology. Just tell us a little bit about what that is. Yeah, that's the Carl Jung idea who popularised the the concept of we all have a ego, which is an identity, and 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 we all have an ego shadow that that which I have disowned about myself. Um, and therefore don't see in myself. And the curious thing about it, though, is I start to see the issue with others, um, and this is called the projection of the shadow. The, the line that lands it best for me, uh, Jackie, is that as I look out, I don't see people in the world. I see myself projected onto people in the world. And, and I find that as a deliciously dangerous concept for my self-awareness 
especially if in service of an organizational goal, um, and especially if I'm overwhelmed and stressed, it's um, yeah, a really powerful way to help leaders take self-awareness to another level and consider that the things that frustrate them about others and the system and the government and the, the industry, et cetera, could potentially just be something that they've carried into the room. Look, there's so much. I think there's a whole other conversation here, Peter, so I might have to get you back. But there's another paragraph I'm going to read out, which uh, I thought was, again, such a great insight into humanity, into human behaviour. And you said, it says here, I'm just trying to think who said it. Was it Angela or Ben? Um, I think it might be Angela. But anyway, the, the, the concept here is being human is nature's joke on us. She has given us the most complex phenomenon that ever existed, human emotion. It's the window to experience of all nature's paradoxical forces. And to top it off, we were also given an awareness device, the mind, with which to observe it. And then that, that, that is so good because that observation, uh, interestingly, is where leads lots of opportunity but also leads a lot of problems. So you've got that. The, the dark side and the light side, and there's the, 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 the shadow and the light and trying to find that balance between it. Wow, thank you for, um, for picking up on that. And um, I'm sometimes jealous of the reptiles and, and arguably the lesser mammals they, uh, and the birds. They, they just operate in the fight, flight, freeze response, and yet we have all of that complexity. And then on top of that, the neocortex to, to assess and to judge and then all feelings in the middle, it's... Um, That's a good point. It's funny you talk about the jealous animals. I look at my dogs all the time and think I want to come back as them. <laughs> I want to be one of my dogs. And oh, just to be a, yeah. oh, to be oh, a dog, to, yeah. Oh, to be a lap dog. Yes. I mean, just just that whole, you know, how excited they get when they get their meals every day. And I must admit it, it grounds me a little bit when I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed. And I look at them and think, God, just stop for a minute, Jackie, and really take in what's happening right now. I suppose it's that Eckhart Tolle philosophy of the power of now, stop and stop <laughs> thinking so far ahead and stop looking back. Uh, but, you know, look, it's a, it's a constant struggle. But I think we're getting better at it with people like you around, uh, these books being written, social media, if there's some good messaging going out there, and also the latest evidence-based findings in neuroscience. They're finding more about the brain now than they've ever had. So hopefully that will lead us to greater growth and not greater destruction. Right, yes, there's so many um, amazing positive things happening. And and, and curiously, and, and it's been histories, uh, history holds this as evidence that... Um, the media and uh, likes to leverage all the negative, but boy, there's so many wonderful things going on. Uh, even though governments might be trying to hang on to the uh, old ways, um, industry, creative leaders, young leaders, um, social media is helping. Yeah, it's, it's a really exciting time. Yeah, it is. It's very challenging. Well, Peter Shields, it's been a delight talking to you. Congratulations on your book, The Leadership Alchemy. I'm assuming it's available where you can buy books. Uh, it is, and yeah, you book, your bookstore, if it doesn't have it, um, they can order it and um, yeah, you can buy it online as well. Excellent. And if people want to find out a bit more about you, they can connect with you on which platforms? 
LinkedIn, I'm, I'm I'm not really into the Facebook thing right now, but LinkedIn definitely I'm available. Um, but also my website uh, is, is is an easy way to to connect with me and and have conversations. Okay, your website is www.corporatealchemy.com.au. Corporate, and that's alchemy, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y. Corporatealchemy.com.au. Peter Shields, thank you very much for your valuable time today. Really enjoyed it. And thank you for being part of Taking Care of Business. My pleasure, Jackie. Thank you so much and um, have a wonderful have a wonderful week. Yeah, I will. I love sharing the knowledge right here on Taking Care of Business on Adult PFM. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a great friend of the program. He is Australia's leading tech futurist. Welcome back, Steve Sammartino. Oh, wonderful to be here, Jackie. It's always good. Your energy, I can feel it across the airwaves. Yeah, that's it. Now you're um you've authored two best selling books. I just want to start with that. One was the first one was The Great Fragmentation and the second one was The Lesson School Forgot. Uh how has that gone and when's the next one coming out? Oh, good question. So the book went really well. It got translated into a number of languages, Chinese, Italian, Korean. Wow. Uh, and it's gone really well. And I think the reason it went well is that school was designed for us to get jobs and school was designed for us to be compliant in the industrial era. Mm. And we've graduated from that, to use a pun there about the book, we've graduated Mm. from the industrial era and now in the digital era, which means we've got a new set of rules on how business is done. And to thrive, we've got to know what they are and how to use the rules and the tools. And if we know that, this is the greatest time ever to be alive. Yeah, certainly business has gone through unprecedented change and it's happening so fast. A lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs are struggling to keep up and this is where you come in because you give people great insight into what they need to be paying attention to. Absolutely. That's the thing that you've just nailed there, Jackie, is when you're running a business, and I've done this, I've had a number of small businesses. I had my first business, an organic egg farm when I was 12. I had a clothing company. I've had dot-com startups, so I've been in there. And when you're running a business, here's the thing. You're all day, every day, looking at your customers, building your product and your services, serving your customers, and what you don't have is the time to look outside of what you're doing. You're so busy keeping the ships afloat and working on the business that you've got. You're in the business. You don't have time to look out of it. That's where I come in because what I do all day, every day is look at new technology and new tools to show people tricks and tips on how they can be more efficient, serve their customers better, and I'm the shortcut. So you can manage your business and then you come and you hang out with me and I'm going to show you the tricks. You go, I never thought of that because you're so busy running your business, I'm going to come in and say, Here's how you can connect with customers easier. Here's this efficiency tool hack here. Here's a great way to get connected with more customers. Here's a way to get your prices up. Here's a way to get people talking about you in the media. And I show people those hacks because I'm out there looking at the opportunities while everyone else is running their business. So we really need each other. 
Yeah, now I know in 2018 you spoke to over 100,000 people and hopefully you influenced a majority of those those brains. And uh, I know that you and I are involved in a conference, the Byte Conference, which is business, innovation, tech and entrepreneurialism. And you're speaking at that coming up very soon. But what's really exciting about that as well, speaking of shortcuts to information, is that you are actually hosting a lunch, a workshop lunch there as well, aren't you? Yeah, this is the executive roundtable. That's what we call it here. It's a lunch where you come in, and what's beautiful about this is we get the whiteboard out there. We get everyone to come in with their most pressing business challenge, right? Their most pressing business challenge. It might be something about staffing. It might be about finance. It might be about promoting. It might be about using tools of technology. You come with that, and the fresh eyes of the experience that I've had around the world with all the different businesses that I've run, and I've worked with Fortune 500 and startups, with your questions on, gee, I've got this challenge. The good thing is I've seen those challenges before. And what I can do is say, here's the tool you should look at. Here's how you can approach that problem. And then the other people in the room, they go, I've had that problem too, and here's how I did that. And then the guy who had that problem has got some solution. They've already found that another guy with a different problem doesn't have. And what we do is we explore these ideas in a crisscross fashion. And the end of there, we all walk out with simple solutions and things that we can do. So by having that roundtable session where instead of just listening to what someone did, this is where we dig in and go, how do I fix this thing? How do I solve that problem? How do I grow here? How do I save costs there? And we crisscross and have this executive roundtable. They are the most powerful things that I do in my career. The most powerful things I do are these sessions with different people in different businesses. Everyone walks out saying, that's the most valuable thing I've done in a number of months. So I just can't wait. Yeah, it's the power of face-to-face too, isn't it? I mean, you can get up on stage and you obviously see someone from a distance, a lot of, a lot of stuff online uh, clearly, but that face-to-face is the most powerful <sighs> thing. The number one technology humans ever invented is language. <laughs> it's the ability to communicate with mm. each other skin-to-skin where you can see the sweat on someone's brow and you can feel the emotion. It's, you know, it's one thing to broadcast information, but when we get across the table from each other in an intimate session, we get the espresso flowing and we're talking to each other, and all of a sudden we're like, wow, we're helping each other. And that intimate, that intimacy of the session means that we can, we can bring things up that are, you know, that are sensitive, things that we, we worry about that keep us awake at night. And everyone in the room is there for the same reason. And all of a sudden... We've got this sort of authenticity about really asking ourselves hard questions about the truth and how we might be able to solve them. And that's something you just can't do online. That's something you just can't do when you're standing on a stage. It's it's that small room with a, a number of people talking just gets a different result. And you know why? That's the way humans are at their best. Yeah, it's a real paradox, isn't it? Because particularly you're in the tech space, and so with the you know advent of digital technology, everyone, particularly businesses, go, well, I need to be online, I need to be on social media, and they sort of hide behind their computer. I'll send an email, send a, pick up the phone or face-to-face, and this is this really curious paradox that we're in now in business, I think. So, Jackie, this is the time for my favourite business story. So, first, I just want to start by saying that um, technology and efficiency and algorithms, that they're all designed just to, to do the efficient stuff. 
right? But the human stuff is what matters. Now, let's imagine this for a second. Imagine that email had been around 50 years before the phone. Imagine email was invented before the phone. Just imagine that, mm-hmm. right? And then someone said to me, hey, Steve, can you just send me an email about that thing we've chatted about? Or can you send this person an email? And imagine if I said to them, oh, have you heard of this new thing? It's called the phone. And I'd say, what do you mean phone? Oh, what it is is it's like a real person that's in the room with you, but it's on this little device and you put it to your ear and you can speak to them in real time real time, and you can feel their emotion and you can get an answer instead of going back and forth seven times like you do with an email. It's amazing. It's called the phone. It's so much better than email. And you know what? We act like email's better. Yeah. Phone is way better. And that's because it's leveraging the initial technology of humans, right? Yeah. And so... What we've got to do is use technology to just confirm things and get the efficiency, but technology should be used so we can have more time with humans. Yeah. Right? That's the art of tech. How can I use the technology so I've got more time, time more with, face yeah. time with people? I love it. You, know, you I go love into it. the Apple Store, right? And you see what is it filled with people? That's the world's biggest tech company. Apple Store filled with people. Mm, I love it. And I also love a segue. And we know we're talking about the Byte conference. And uh, one of your sayings or, that I like, uh, your quotes, is when the belly is full, the brain is empty, stay hungry. And then that yes. le- leads me to another segue that you're doing a pilot TV show at the moment called Future Sandwich. So we're feasting our minds, Steve. Tell us about Future Sandwich. Yeah, so Future Sandwich is a new TV show that I've done a pilot for with Tommy McCubbin and it's going to be going on free-to-air TV in Australia. We're in, in the middle of discussions with a couple of broadcasters. I'm very, very excited. We're very close to getting that finalised. And what it's about is all the new technology shaping our world. And each episode starts with uh, a sandwich and the sandwich is delivered via a technology. In our pilot, we had the sandwich delivered via a drone from a cafe to the studio, world first. And uh, basically, we're going to have every episode is about a different topic. It might be artificial intelligence. It might be the future of healthcare, the future of food. It's a little bit like a top gear for tech. And what we're going to do is arm Australians with all the knowledge they need to understand the tech and think, gee, here's how I can use this in my life. And here's the, the, good, the good things I need to know about. Here's some potential risks and downsides. And really, just in an entertaining way, you know, teach Australians about how our world's changing. And I've got to be honest, I reckon we've had enough of these shows, people arguing and getting married online and all this crazy stuff. I reckon we deserve more. I reckon the Australian populace is ready for something that's entertaining and educational. And if no one's going to deliver it, then I'm going to step up to the plate and be the person who does it. Love it. Very excited. So any idea of when that's going to be uh, released? Yeah, it'll be um, early next year. So it'll be the new TV shows coming to air next year. Excellent. Sorry. Everything's happening in 2020. Everything. 2020. It's that year. It's like that thing in the future when 2020 comes. We're nearly there. I know. And I'm waiting for someone to, you know, redo their, their vision and call it a 2020 vision. I'm sure it's happened. Uh, where, <laughs> where we all see things a lot clearer. And uh, I know, Steve, when you speak, those in the audience start to look at their business through much clear, clearer lens. So I look forward to Bite Conference. Seeing you there, Steve. And as always, stay hungry. Thank you. Stay hungry. Stay hungry. Thanks for your valuable time. We love picking the best brains in the business world here on Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this. That's the end of another stimulating show. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot, the podcast will be on the website, artorpfm.com.au, and you can connect with me to continue the conversation 
Jackie Mitchell on social media or at brandstorm.com.au. Thank you today to our worldly and thought-provoking guests. We look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.